Hi, this is Marissa Meyer. And this is Delaney. And this is Sloan. And you're listening to the Prince Kai Fan Pod. Welcome to another episode of Prince Kai Fan Pod, a Marissa Meyer Book Club podcast where Captain is King, Marissa is Queen, and I'm your host, Bethany Finger. This episode is brought to you by Rampion Crew Patron Supporters. Thank you. Please welcome back Rampion Crew Patreon member Sierra and Cassie from Of Slippers and Spindles. Hello, everybody. Podcast. Hi. So, do you guys want to introduce yourselves even though you've been on episodes? Because that's just how podcasts Sure. Are. It might be somebody's first time listening. You never know. <laughs> they start with like one of the last chapters of winter. <laughs> you know what? To each their own. Live your best life. Yes. I'm Cassie. I um, am the co-host of a podcast called Of Slippers and Spindle Of Slippers and Spindles. We are. This is always such a weird thing to like introduce my podcast anymore because yeah, the I podcast know, is not currently going. Um, it was a podcast I did with my dear friend Drew, who unfortunately passed away earlier this year from cancer. But our podcast, which is all about fairy tale retellings is still up wherever you can listen to podcasts and you can listen to our two years worth of content and we had a good time and we made a lot of fun episodes and I always love coming on to other people's podcasts to share my love of fairy tales so I'm always thrilled to be recording with Bethany and so it's been a lot of fun and I'm excited to be here here at the end here at the end of of the Lunar Chronicles Sorry. I know. Oh my so, goodness. Sierra, do you want to introduce yes, yourself again? I'm Sierra. I'm a patron um, from the Patreon. And I don't know. I love fairy tales. I love Bethany's podcast. I love Cassie's podcast. Like, just, yeah, super big nerd. Also into library science, t- too. So these are my people, man. Yes. Three librarians just talking about winter. <laughs> So what's funny is actually just because we're recording super far in advance and out of order because life is an illusion, um, I just talked to Marissa two days ago when I ran into her at the Artless Musical, and I told her that I was recording this episode this weekend. I said, yeah, I'm recording this weekend, and she's like, ooh, what episode are you on? And I said, we're doing chapters 95 and 96, and she's like, of, of, of winter? And I was like, yeah. She's like, you're almost done with winter and I was like yeah she's like I feel like I just <laughs> met you and I, was like, I was like no it feels that way to me too because sometimes I'm like but the podcast just started and it's like no it's been four and a half years we're almost done with winter I have had a lot of people ask what's happening after winter so if you're listening and you're curious yeah we're gonna do all of the Lunar Chronicles deleted mm-hmm. scenes which I'm really excited about you can find those on Marissa Meyer's website we're going to do A History of Luna, also something you can find on Marissa Meyer's website. We're going to do the graphic novels. We're going to do Stars Above. And then we're going to do the COVID short story. And then at that point, should be around December, January, which means Cassie should have had time to adapt to her new lifestyle and read the short story, the Sea Witch short story that Marissa wrote. So uh-huh. she can be we on that episode. Some here. Cassie's thoughts. Because... Oh, I have Cassie thought. likes Sea Witch, like, retellings from Ariel, and I'm like, okay, well, then 100%. you're automatically my guest for I the short story I wouldn't have it anyway. Marissa wrote. Yeah. 
So we're doing that before we switch to Heartless. So we're doing that in December, and then in 2024, we are doing Heartless. Wow. How are we in August of 2023, guys? Right. I don't know. I'm still dealing with 2021 after that. (laughs) And Bethany, I love you so much. But as we discussed when you were on our podcast, when we did Heartless, I will not read that book again. I, I cannot know. handle which, which the devastation. Which means I can't get you for if like you two years. you want me on for Heartless, you have to get me on for a happy chapter, and it can't be the end of the book. So two things. One, you can always do Patreon episodes with me, because I'm going to need those. Two, you are the reason Quentin will not listen to oh, Heartless. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> because he, he doesn't really do reading, but he has audiobooks. And he did all of the Lunar Chronicles, and I was talking about Heartless being next. And I was telling him about Heartless and, you know, tangent, tangent, tangent. And he's like, wait, so Cassie won't actually read Heartless because that's how heartbreaking <laughs> it is. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I'm not reading oh, that. Oh, my gosh. Whereas, I was like, no, it's really, I was like, it's really good. Like, it's really well written and oh, an no. established story. And he's like, cool, it's cool, cool. Brilliant. Not it's doing a brilliant it. novel. It's so good. <laughs> well, and, and. The kind of the opposite thing happened with my coworker Bailey, um, who was talking about like she really wanted to read a Marissa Meyer book because she knew how much I loved Marissa Meyer, but that everything felt like such a commitment because the series are so long. Yeah, and so I was like, long. well, she does have a couple standalones. She's got Heartless, which is really good, but it's it's absolutely devastating. And my coworker's like, oh, it's sad, and I was like, yeah, it's devastating. She's like, yeah, I'm gonna read that one. <laughs> And she came in after she finished it. She came into work. She's like, Cassie, I finished Heartless. I'm like, I told you. She's like, I know. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I had it yeah. laying around, and my dad read it, and he was so shook. He's like, he's like allergic to sad things. Like he will avoid them at all costs. And I was just like, have, reading it casually, and I had it around, and he picked it up. He's like, oh, that's a horrible book. I'm like, yeah, but it's like so brilliant. Like I don't know. I've read it three times. I don't know why. I don't know yeah. how. The first time, I definitely didn't appreciate it. I mean, low-key, I was, like, reading it as I was TAing in classes, so I didn't have my full attention. But, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, it's one of those things, like, Quentin doesn't usually do anything that's, like, gut-wrenching. And um, we're big Brooklyn Nine-Nine fans, by the way, so we often say cool too much, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt, no doubt, like, so when we were talking about it and I was trying to like hype up the book, he just kept going like cool motive still murder, <laughs> yeah. which is oh something God, I, I say. So like cool motive uh-huh. still right, murder, right. but cool motive. Like so I was like, Okay, so you're definitely you just quoted Jake, so like you're definitely <laughs> not reading this book. <laughs> like you can go right to Renegades, which also oh has gosh, some heartbreaking moments. Chapter. But it's not as bad as Heartless. So yeah. okay, I got you. And chapter of the final book. Uh, I desperately want a graphic novel and I've told her that before and she's always like I want one too but graphic novels take like yeah. six years and I have to pitch it I have to pitch it and then come at them with all this information and I was like Marissa if you write it we will buy yeah. it girl like tell them that you are basically Taylor Swift right. of books <laughs> they don't have to worry about right. it not selling okay it's going to sell I promise you we will buy it if nothing even if we don't like it we're gonna buy it yeah. because you wrote it like I alone I'm gonna buy at least two copies 
Because I have to have my copy, and then I have to have the copy on my Kindle right, just exactly. in case. Right? Especially with the podcast, I need that control F function so sometimes. Nice. Yeah, I've definitely relied. That has come so in much very on the audiobooks and the ebooks. I might as well just like buy them, but I don't know. <laughs> the audiobooks oh, are so good, you guys. Oh, a good audiobook is just like gold. Gold, gold, gold. Just like trickling in through your ears. Anyways, should we talk about some yeah, fan art yeah. Fridays? I have some good fan art Friday. Oh, wait, we skipped. Oh. What are you reading? What are you guys reading? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I. Let me get out my Goodreads because I, I don't know. I am rereading the Anna and the French Kiss trilogy by Stephanie Perkins right now. I I really like this trilogy because it kind of bridges young adult and new adult. It's not quite all the way into new adult, but the characters are like end of high school, beginning of college. And it's it's like YA rom-com, but it's more complex than that. So it deals with what mm. the the issues feel weightier and the situations are less neat and they feel more true to like real life situations that these people would go through at that age and that's appealing so yeah i like it i actually yeah. picked up what about you Sierra? henry love edith from the last time cassie was on it's Aww. so delightful guys it's it is. cute it's like it's such a hallmark cute. movie it can really is. from it but like in the best way so good and I've been reading rereading the I think they're technically called the princess tales but like Cassie and Drew called them the tales of Biddle if I can't oh, yeah. the mm-hmm. line. and that's just so much of a better oh, name yeah. than oh, I've been reading that I've been just like switching back between like rom-coms about like books and like book lover and nerds and fairy tales and fairy tales retelling it's so funny and they're very different <laughs> yeah but that's okay yeah. Yeah. I my I've, I've said before that I'm a mood reader and it definitely like my vibes go all over the place. Um so right now I'm reading Chasing Cheer by Heather Schneider, which is a basically like if a Hallmark movie was a book if like a Hallmark Christmas movie was a book, it would be this book. Actually, I take that back. If a Netflix Christmas movie, because they are superior to Hallmark, that is a hill I will climb every day. If a Netflix Christmas movie were a book, it would be this one. Excellent. (laughs) And then I also have um, Waiting in the Wings, because I'm almost done with Chasing Cheer, is Academically Yours by Jennifer Chipman, um, which I'm very excited about because it was like, She's an indie author, and I feel like, one, I feel like indie authors don't get enough credit. Like, people don't take them as seriously as they should. Um, and two, she, like, on Instagram, which is where I find, like, 80% of my content for reading, on Instagram was basically like, if you, like, love Hypothesis, you should read my book. And I was like, you have my full attention, because I love to love Hypothesis. <laughs> so I'm like, I have that ready in the wings. Um, and this episode is going to come out like two episodes after what I haven't recorded yet. So I don't know if I should say what I'm reading because it's probably going to be irrelevant by the time this comes out, but oh well. <laughs> Join the rabbit hole. That is good. Okay, so now we Highly talk. recommend Bethany and Olivia. One of the oh, other patrons got me on it. And I'm like, <laughs> so I told my dad, I was like, 
The two of us are back and forth so it's like much. Social media <laughs> for introverts, um, because you read your books and you post about them and you see others, but you don't actually have to interact that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a listener tell me they that she was like, I have a spreadsheet for every time you recommend a book or every time you've read a book, and you're like, oh hey. This is where I'm at. You know, these are what I'm currently reading. And I can't keep up with you, but I have a spreadsheet, so I know what I'm reading next at all times. And I was like, I'm, like, so honored that you care that much about what I'm reading. (laughs) That you're just like, oh, if she read it, I'm going to read it. I'm like, you should also check my Goodreads because I'm fairly honest with my reviews. And just because I read it doesn't mean it was good. Like, sometimes they're not good. Sometimes I'm like, I should not have spent 18 hours with you. Struggle. Stitching snow. Ugh. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> That's all I have to say about it. Because <laughs> everybody heard that episode already. Okay, so now let's talk about some yeah. Black Friday. <sighs> we have two that I'm really excited about because... I've been holding on to one of them for forever because that's how fan art works. I see it, and then I'm like, oh, I need that for these chapters. And those chapters are three and a half years away. So this piece of fan art, you guys, I actually found before I started the podcast. I've never seen this one. That's because it's a Pinterest gold mine. It is by Shan Lightyear. Um, This was one of her first pieces to, like, circulate the internet. That's how old it is. And she's, like, one of the most famous Lunar Chronicles fan artists to ever exist. It's, like, her, Cosmic Nova Flare, Katadara, like, ant artists. There's, like, five or six of them that are just constantly producing Marissa Meyer content. And they're all so great because they're always like, yeah, of course you can share my work. Just give me a shout-out. I'm like, yes, please, thank you. So this is Captain Thorne and the beautiful Kratz and... Oh, she's like walking around with her IV and her little baggie and she's in her little hospital gown and he's got his little bandaged arm and he's winking at her. I don't think there's enough of a height difference, but I'm going to let it fly because the rest <laughs> of this image is yes. perfection. What did, what did you guys think getting to see this today? I love the interpretation of Cress. I think she looks just super sweet and cute. And I'll forgive the height difference. He looks like he's, like, leaning in a little bit. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Valid point. No, it's cute. But, like, yeah. Cress looks cute, but she's also like, man, I've been through some stuff. Which, like, yeah. is yeah. understandable for this. And Thorne's hair's a mess. I mean, maybe it's, like, the casual thing. His wink is hilarious. I love his cast. That's a good detail. He is the cast in the... Mm-hmm. We can say missing mm-hmm. fingers, right? Mm-hmm. That's not a yeah. spoiler anymore. Okay. <laughs> No, because we're we're okay, way past good. that at this point. <laughs> yeah, I also I love the um like I love when they give Crest like Disney eyes. Yeah, yes. I think there's probably a more artistic word for it, but you guys know what I'm getting at. Yeah. Um, and I love her like teeny tiny little button nose. Mm, yeah. I think she looks ad- I she just looks adorable. Not that she doesn't usually look adorable, but just like. Cress, uh, I just adore her, as we all do, right? Like, yes. we love Cress. She's she's sublime. So, um, big thank you to Shan Lightyear for letting me share that, especially for letting me hold on to it for so long. And the next fan art comes from Melanie MC. So this one is of Winter, and it's just of Winter and Ryu, but based on these chapters, I kind of imagine it as the ghost of Ryu. Um 
just because of the way that they're like snuggling but it's an image of winter dressed in full regalia and Ryu just kind of snuggled up onto her the way that a little tiny Yorkie puppy would be only he's a giant wolf and my favorite thing, especially because I'm in my Speak Now era, is how purple yes, everything those is. Those flowers are so pretty. Yeah. yeah, this is gorgeous, and I love the the play mm-hmm. of the light against the dark. Mm-hmm. Um, I was forget. Just, oh, sorry, it's really Kathy. striking. Oh no, you're okay. It's just it's very striking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always forget how dark it would actually be on Luna. Like it makes sense, but it's just like, oh yeah, yeah that'd be kind of icky. Like, because they have artificial sunlight. I can't remember how it works. It's like, man, that would suck. I think they've mentioned artificial sunlight before. Um, you know, but this this kind of has some of the components we saw in the last one with Winter's feature. She has a really cute little button. No, she doesn't quite have Disney eyes, but they're approaching that level. Um, that like cartoonish but desirable level. And I love that this image has Wolf although he's a little bit smaller than I would have um, predicted, the wolf Ryu kind of snuggled up to her the way that just any other dog companion might be. Because I think it brings us back to what Winter was always trying to imply and reinforce to everybody else, that like they're not just animals. But yeah, big thank you to both those artists for letting me share their work. You can find their work and more on the Prince Kai Fanpod Instagram. We're not going to do the winter chapter titles because we are three episodes ahead of schedule. So future Bethany is going to insert those titles later. <laughs> I feel responsible. In like two and a half. Thank you. Hi everyone. Chapter 93 was a tie between Bring Me to Life by Evan Essence and Electric Touch by Taylor Swift and Fallout Boy. And chapter 94 was Karma by Taylor Swift. No, dude, this is exhausting right now. <laughs> like, three episodes in four days is exhausting right now. But then I have, like, an entire month where I can just focus on, like, my job and my Patreon. And I think that's going to be really beneficial. So, you know, you put in the work now to take the yeah, break later, like, right? Hopefully you can take a break. Okay, so. Like, hopefully pause. you can take a break with these recording, I don't know, marathons. <laughs> yeah, Last week, we left off with the defeat of Queen Lavana, the reunion of Wolflet and Jacinta and Cinder hosting her very first diplomatic meeting, which ended in requesting a private audience about Carswell Thorne. It involves a man named Carswell Thorne. Like, oh, one of my favorite lines. I know it's, like, so simple of, like, it involves a man named Carswell Thorne, but for some reason, when I read that, I'm like, oh, <laughs> so we are in cress's perspective and she's in you know recovery mode from her injuries she's been out of animation for about four hours uh how many days it was a bit understandably like her internal organs probably got screwy yeah yeah she got stabbed oh i want to say it was like a week or something listen Hmm, i guess if i got stabbed Yeah, I want to be in suspended animation until mm-hmm. until that's all figured out. She's back to using her coping mechanisms of fantasies, which I always love when Marissa uses this type of um, this type of storytelling to address anxiety, which is a, a real and genuine problem in in society, of course, and always has been. But I like that Cress goes in and out as a character. We'll see her 
use the fantasies frequently and then we won't see it for chapters and then we'll see it reappear um and i think it's a good way of showing us that like you know you can overcome anxiety uh in in moments of your life it is going to come back and this particular moment of anxiety she is a first era princess on a throne not a patient floating on a gurney which in my mind i picture as a sort of floating recliner with the feet okay. popped out like Wally style? I pictured it more like Star Wars, which is kind of the thing when Star Wars episode two, Anakin's stepdad has this like thing and yeah, it's kinda of like a chair and it just like floats. Okay, so okay. Not as comfy, just kind of made up. Yeah. I wonder if Crest was feeling Well, she she mentions later that it is comfy, oh, okay. so I I think I definitely pictured like a Wally type okay. floating recliner. I wonder if she's feeling some like depression and PTSD and being like, Wow, I just survived a crazy mm-hmm. terrible thing and like yeah. So Yeah, absolutely. She's had plenty of people visit her and sort of update her on what's going on in the world, but she hasn't seen Thorn and no one has mentioned him. That to me is weird, and it's never fully explained why nobody's mentioned him either. I, know. I do like her response though, where she's like, "Um, okay, like, yeah, he lost two fingers, but I had it worse." Because that's taking up space like that, and herself is something she would never have done like the first bit. Yeah, it's taking up space and validating absolutely. I think that the reason why like nobody's mentioned him is because the feelings between Thorn and Cress are not secret. I firmly believe that. Like, I don't think there's a single member of this uh, octet, this this group of people. Like, there's not a (laughs) single person there who has not looked at the two of them and understood exactly what the dynamic is. But because you had this big battle, Thorn stabbed Cress, Cress shot Thorn. You know, and 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 they have yeah, Willingly. and they haven't had a chance to like talk about anything. I think everybody's like really hesitant to be the one to bring it up because they point, yeah. don't yeah. necessarily know like what is Cress feeling. Because remember, I think it's really important that Cress is the is the only lunar in that group, and that her when she thinks yes. about what Thorn did and she thinks about being stabbed by Thorn. The narration even immediately says when he'd been under Lavana's control. So she's never yes. blaming Thorn for this. She's yep. always putting the blame where it belongs, which is on Lavana. But I feel like everybody else in this yes. group has a hard time with that distinction because they are the Earthens who are so easily controlled. So we see it yeah. later with Thorn in this chapter. Yes. And I think it's a really important dynamic of these two characters in particular, where he's, like, blaming himself, like, I stabbed you, and she's like, Lavana stabbed me. That inherent understanding of you can be controlled by a lunar. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about this a few chapters ago when Winter killed Amory, but used Scarlet's body to do it. So it was like, well, was Scarlet the murderer or was Winter? Well, Winter was, but Scarlet was the person who emotionally felt that knife stab into someone and take the life out of them. So there's definitely an emotional component involved, despite the fact that it was somebody else controlling her body. Yeah. What's the quote from, like, um, Princess Bride? Thank you so much for bringing up a painful subject. Now, how would you like to give me a nice paper cut? And oh, yeah. Let me do some it. Yep. 
Yeah, so yeah. I feel like everybody's not mentioning Thorn because yeah, they don't want to bring up point. something that might be a sore subject. And also, yeah. if he's currently like in the right. meeting with the, you know, the world leaders, and they don't know how. Yeah, they don't know if he's in there getting in right. Trouble, so they or... might be like, we don't necessarily want to bring him yeah. up if the next thing that happens is that he gets hauled off in handcuffs. Like, yeah, right. Like goes back to prison. Yeah. Because they don't know what that conversation is about. And it's not like Cinder would have confided that in anyone other than probably Kai. I could see her yeah. confiding it in Kai and by extension possibly Tori. But they're in the meeting but, with her. Um, she would have no reason to con- – right. Like she would have no reason to confide that in, in no. Jason or Winter yeah. or Scarlet or Wolf so or even Aiko. So, yeah. So the shells have been awakened. And they are, of course, still being, they need their blood to be the antidote, um, but now it needs to be some kind of voluntary thing because, you know, people have Mm -hmm. rights over their bodies. What do you guys think of this concept that, like, the shells are awakened and they get to live their lives, but we still need them for the antidote? Like, what do you think? Because we don't really see a good... um, yeah, I was showed to that. Seen more. Like we don't see how they work that out. So what do you guys think of that? Like what do you think would be a good way of them solutionizing that? I will start by saying I have no suggestions. Right. I have no idea. And I think that it's I, what I appreciate about what Marissa does is that she she doesn't give us a resolution, but she does make it clear that this is a very complicated mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. And that there isn't going to be an easy yeah. solution. And I think Yeah personally if it was like me in that situation you have to give the shells the ability to walk away fully supported like if they Mm -hmm. say no you've taken enough from me that's an absolutely valid response I'm not going to try and guilt trip you I'm going to sit you down at the beginning and go look here's the situation what's been done to you is horrible and if you do not give us permission to continue we will not however the same person who hurt you is hurting all of these people on earth and you mm-hmm. have the ability to help fix that if you choose to take that responsibility on. And if you don't, that is perfectly acceptable. Here is our support. Go live your life. See, that's one of those things where I hundred percent agree with you because from that standpoint, it kind of reminds me of like, you know, like, like organ donation. If everybody was an organ donor, especially with kidneys or livers or things that you can keep continuing your existence with, um, you know, we would have all of those solutions to all of those problems where people die waiting for an organ. But it's your body. It's your choice if you get if you want to give up your organ to someone, right? Like, I wish I could be the type of person that's like, I don't need my organ. Take it. And I will when I die, but, like, I kind of want my kidney right now. I might right. need it. I don't know. Yeah. I might need it in a few years. It might now, now, this probably sounds selfish, but, like, if my sister or something was like, hey, I need your kidney, I'd probably be like, all right, let's go make sure we're a match. But, like, there are people out there. There's the whole Share Your Spare organization, which is all about, like, finding people that you match oh, and giving wow. up your kidney. And so I, I do understand the the juxtaposition of is that the right word i said it yeah we'll we'll go with it and if it's the wrong word Cassie, yeah i don't know where i don't know where you're going yet, so I can't tell of, if it's the right word yeah. at this point or not. <laughs> i i do the the it's when we're meeting this sort of crossroad where it's 
it's yes, what you're doing, donating your your blood, which is basically what we would be asking of shells in this society. That would be what they would be being asked of, right? Donating your your blood or your platelets. Um, that would be a solution to saving thousands of lives. Flip side, it is your body, it is your blood, it is your choice if you want to donate it. Obviously, it would be very helpful and we'd appreciate it, but it belongs to you and we acknowledge and respect that. So to me, it kind of has that same vibe. It's just more urgent than like donating blood in general. You know, there's like a much higher level of urgency there. No, I really think um, what Cassie said about like supporting, but I think we should, I think they, they owe it to like... I don't know, create an organization of, like, social workers that are, like, supporting either way, because they got, like, their lives disrupted their whole life, and who knows oh, how yeah. they know to function, and they were in these, like, tanks, and it's, like, that's... And most of these were taken when they were level. It makes me wonder, yeah. like... Right, like, it makes you wonder, like, when Cinder was in her take, she had simulations going on to teach her um, certain functions, like riding a bike and things like that, Right. But these shells, did they have any of that? Or are they basically, you know, 18-year-olds with the cognitive function of Yeah, I don't think they would have had anything like that because the intention was never – the intention was never to put them in society at some eventual point. The intention was just to keep them alive. So then that is something – Yeah, these were like unconscious Yeah, so that's something something to keep in mind as well. Yeah. Now, I will say like – if you base it off of the information, based on the information we're given, Cress went to the satellite when she was seven, and a few years later, that's the extent of it, a few years later, they stopped housing the shells in the caves and decided they should just all be under sedation. So if you go by that statement, then these shells have been in sedation for like five or six years, which means people who were in their teenage years have you know much further mm-hmm. cognitive development. And then there are going to be five and six year old children who have been in there since birth. So you're going to have a pretty big um, gap in terms of like the lowest level of cognitive function and the highest level of cognitive function and ages as well. Do you think it like stops them from aging or if they're in there long enough? No, 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 no. It doesn't stop them from aging. But mentally, they're not going to. Oh yeah, age. I know about the mentally, but I was just like wondering because they're like, unconscious. I wonder if it would stop them from aging, but if it just like freezes them in time. But yeah, um, I don't think we're given that okay. implication. But we're also not given enough information to say that that's not yeah. true. I don't. I don't think that that's the case because if you could freeze somebody's aging process, I feel like that would be a much bigger issue in this society. I <laughs> yeah. feel like there would be attention drawn to it at some point. Um, but we're not given any indication that that can't happen, right? Yeah. So and I guess yeah, Cinder was able to grow from being a wee child. Yeah, she went from being eleven to, to 16. while in the tank. So. Yeah. Okay, so Kres is moved into a luxury suite at the palace, actually in the same area where the diplomats were being housed just a few days ago. She's two doors down from Wolf and Scarlet, and Thorne is actually right across the hall from her. And he shows up outside her room, clean shaven, combed hair, and nice clothes. I don't know about you guys, but I have the feeling that Thorne actually looks really good, like rugged. Like, he looks great. You know, 
all dressed up with his combed hair and then clean shaven and stuff. But I have a feeling like Thorne is one of those guys that like when he's rugged, it's like way better. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Like the scruffy, handsome vibes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I love about this moment is it's so rom-com because it's like she's going to take her destiny in her own hands. Yes. She goes over and she opens the door and then he's standing there. I love it. And I'm so proud of Chris for making things happen. And yeah. I'm like, yes. you like me if you come. And so oh, I just, I love her. And she's grown so much. I'm so proud of her. She has. So Thorne shows up and he's got, he's got a few things to, to reveal to her. I kind of adore Thorne's insecurities in these chapters. But basically, especially because he's, like, talking really fast, like, okay, let me get this out. Let me tell you what's going on. Let me tell you my plans. So he basically, this is what's happening. Thorne is going to get the Rampion. He gets to keep the Rampion. He has to make payments for it, but he gets to keep the Rampion. And he already found a job so he can make those payments. He's going to be distributing the antidote for Cinder, which – Okay, it's not like he had to go on an interview and, and submit a resume and application for that job, but he does have a job, so, like, it's fine. <laughs> he apologizes her to her for stabbing her, and he asks her to be on his crew, and he says, like, look, I know that, you know, you might have other plans for your future, but it would be really cool, and I can take you to see the world, the mountains and the forest, oh, and Wolf and Scarlet will be there, too. By the way, Scarlet and I are going to start a Missing Fingers Club. I think I might actually decide on some uh, cyborg fingers, like, <laughs> toothpick would be really handy like i love how so much nervous. he's like spitting at her at once uh-huh. like the amount of information that he's just like blah regurgitate and and she's she's like trying to keep up and she's like so you're offering me a job yes and he's like that's not really what i'm trying to do and i appreciate her blood and she's like captain i am still on a lot of pain medication like, i'm gonna need you to boil this down to essentials for me and i need context i love thorn deal with the president i love how he gets to keep the rampion for some reason that made me way more happy than it should have but i love that he actually has to work for it because that's just like something he needs is accountability and hard work and like yeah it's not just like look you already helped save the world so we'll give it to you it's like it's great that you saved the world so fine you can't go to prison but you still owe me money for that shit Mm -hmm. well and and this goes back to one of my favorite chapters in this book is when this book, the book before, I don't remember, is when Thorne is taking Kai yeah, back to Earth. That's this book. That's I know exactly book. what you're talking about. I love that chapter. Yes. So, right. Great. Can I get this in writing? No, said Kai, watching the podship controls as Thorne had his attention pinned on him again. And the deal is only valid if we both survive. Mutual survival. Not a problem. Grinning. Thorne checked their course and made a few adjustments to his flight instruments as Japan appeared on the horizon. Also, I have one contingent. You have to return everything you stole. Thorne's grin started to fizzle, but he locked his hands around the console and brightened again. Dream dolls and some surplus uniforms? Done. And? And? And that's pretty much it. Aces, you make it sound like I'm a kleptomaniac or something. Kai cleared his throat. And the ship. You have to give back the ship. Thorne's knuckles whitened. But she's my ship. No, she belongs to the American Republic. If you want a ship of your own, then you're going to have to work for it and buy one like everybody else. Hey, Mr. Born into Royalty, what do you know about it? But Thorne's defensiveness faded as quickly as it had come, ending in a grumpy sulk. Besides, I did work for it. 
Thievery isn't easy, you know. You're not really arguing with me about this, are you? Thorn clenched his eyes shut, and every muscle in Kai's body tensed. But then, Thorn sighed and opened them again. You don't get it. The Rampion and I have been through a lot together. I may have stolen her at first, but now it does feel like she belongs to me. But she doesn't belong to you. And you can't expect the rest of your crew to want to stay on in a stolen ship. Thorn guffawed. My crew? Let me tell you what's going to become of my crew when this is over. He ticked off his fingers. Cinder will be the ruling monarch of a big rock in the sky. Iko will go wherever Cinder goes. So let's assume she becomes the queen's hairdresser or something. You? Are you a part of the crew now? Doesn't matter. We both know where you're going to end up. And once we get Scarlet back, she and Wolf are going to retire to some farm in France and have a litter of baby wolf cubs. That's what's going to become of my crew when this is done. The bro talk. Because those two, those two get so few moments together mm-hmm. where it's just the two of them. I think that's really the only one we see. And I I I really love that conversation that they have where Thorne is trying to argue but it's my ship and Kai's like no it's not. You stole it. <laughs> like yes, you have made it your own. You've made yourself at home. You feel a kinship and I get that, but it is not yours. You did steal it. I'm going to pardon you of your crimes against the Commonwealth, but you have to give the ship back. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you have to make strides to prove that you are trying to become a better person. And I think that this is kind of, like, the wrapping up of that, too. And I also just love how giddy he is that he does get to keep his ship. Yes. Instead of just buying a new ship, he's like, I want mine. Exactly. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of Aiko being like, my body isn't replaceable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, he could just give the Rampion back, take his punishments as they come, and buy a new ship, which is basically what Kai recommends early on. He's like, just get another ship. And he's like, but this is my ship. So it kind of reminds yeah. me of where Aiko is. It's like, well, you, you're you just a ship. We can put you in another body. And she's like, but this is my body. Yeah. I guess even as a little kid, if I'd, like, lost a Barbie or lost something, I was like, no, I don't care. It looks the same. I want this one. (laughs) You want to fix what you already have. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I completely understand that. So what do you guys think of, I want to talk about this, like, everything is sort of coming to fruition. Cassie mentioned that beautiful conversation between Kai and... Thorn. And in that conversation, Kai is like, well, you can't expect your crew to stay on with a stolen ship. And Thorn is like, what crew? And in this scene, we sort of see how that's true and how it's not true, right? Like, with, like Cinder is going to, oh, I think he said that Iko is going to be Cinder's hairdresser. Oh, yeah. Um, so we see, we see that Cinder is, in fact, going to rule the rock on the sky. So obviously, she's not going to be a part of the crew in the same way, right? But she did her part as part of his crew because she got him the damn ship to begin with. Then you have Wolf and Scarlet. They might go and have a bunch of cubs and hang out on Earth. Like, that's what we hope for them as readers. But in the beginning, they are going to work with him and help distribute the antidote. And he does want Crest to see the world. He just wants to also be a part of it. And I I really love that as we're, you know, revealing all of this and, and going through... And he's like, stay on my crew, you know. 
we're avoiding that miscommunication trope because it would yeah. have been really easy yeah. for Crest to have been like, oh, he only wants me on his crew. Yep. Now I'm sad yeah. that I won't speak up about it. And instead, we have Crest who has grown enough and who I think knows Thorn well enough to be able in this moment to say, I am not understanding something. And so instead of making an assumption, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask for clarification. Yes. <laughs> And I love avoiding the miscommunication trope. It's my favorite thing that authors do. Yeah. Well, all Thank the you things. Thank you to Cress for being that, like, bold and reasoned as you should, girl. And thank you to Marissa for not falling into that trap. Well, she learned a lot of security with their relationship. For, but with the, the most beautiful garden kiss, that was amazing. And mm-hmm. that scene. But also, like, even when they're shooting each other, they're communicating. And he's like, I'm so sorry. This is not me. And, like... So I think, you know, if you can survive, your relationship can survive violence without your consent, then, like, yeah. Very true. Very true. So the chapter kind of ends here. Cress, he helps Cress get off the gurney. It's so cute. Um, and lets her rest in the bed, helps her, like, lay back. He kisses her, which she says is the best pain medicine ever I love that she's like high on endorphins from his like kiss 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 (laughs) here's something that is debated in the fandom and I only know that because I have a patreon and I've seen it get debated multiple times Thorne has said I love you to 24 women including the lunar girl and I agree with Cress the concept is did you say it out loud he said the words out loud like it counts okay I get that he didn't realize what he was saying but it counts okay So he's saying he never meant it and never realized that he hadn't meant it until he had Cress. And it bums me out when Cress is like, I don't even know 24 people, and you've said I love you to 24 girls? Yes. But the beautiful part that we all love is when he says that that he knows she deserves better, and so does everyone else except for Cress. And so he's hoping by the time Cress realizes that she probably deserves better, he will be worthy of her. And again, we are avoiding a trope because the typical trope would be like, I'm not good enough for you, so I'm just going to end the relationship right here and now, right? <clears throat> yeah. No. I'm not good enough for you, so I'm going to make myself good enough for you. Yes. And I'm not toxically changing myself. I'm. You're making me a better tro- person, and I'm choosing. Yes. And right. that's one something that's exactly. been... Yes, because that's something that I've seen debated in the fandom is that when he says something like that is he's like, when you say you're not good enough for someone or you are good enough for someone, it's sort of putting this balance, this imbalance in between the two of you that you won't be able to overcome. And I don't think it's necessarily that he's saying like he isn't good enough for her. I think he's saying that like he knows Crest deserves a partner who is capable of giving her certain things. And he knows that he is also deserves a partner that is capable of giving him certain things. Cress is already able to meet that sort of need in a partner. And Thorne wants to be that person. And so he's going to make himself that person for her. Yeah, he knows like a life of crime. It's not good for him. It's not Mm -hmm. the best. It's not good for her. And so he's like, you know what? This is not a great choice. And so I'm going to change my life and make better choices. Mm Mm-hmm. And personally, one of my biggest squicks, like one of the the biggest things that will turn me off of a relationship faster than anything else is a power imbalance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and it just makes me very uncomfortable. And there is so much potential in this relationship when we see it at the start to go in that direction. Yes. And again, we're subverting yeah. tropes because we never do. Because you have this girl who has built up this image and this belief of this celebrity figure, basically, mm-hmm. and is like in fangirl love with him at first. And it would be very easy for him to be like, oh, okay, that's fun. I'll take advantage of that while I'm interested. Mm-hmm. And that would be what I would hate. Like, absolutely not. I don't want to go anywhere near that. But instead, and I've talked about this before when I've been on, on the episodes where we've been looking at Thorn and Cress, he is has always been very aware of, like, the image that she has in her head of me is not who I actually am. Yeah. But what I think is legitimately fascinating about the dynamic between these two characters is that I'm trying to figure out the best way to express this because, like, it makes sense in my head, but I'm trying to verbalize it in a way that's Story of my life, Cassie. (laughs) I know. (laughs) The only – so everybody, I think, who has ever been charmed by Thorn Mm -hmm. has known on some level – that it's an act. Maybe they didn't want to acknowledge it, but they've known like, oh, he's turning on the charm for me. And a lot of these girls were probably very flattered by that. But they were still aware on some level, I'm being charmed. And I think Cress is really the first person who thought that it was genuine. Like that charming persona. But Cress also like, it's not that he convinced her that he was genuine. It's that she believed he was genuine, even when he didn't believe he was genuine. And I think part of what Thorne has been scared of in the relationship is that he would not live up to this person that Cress thought he was. Mm-hmm. And I think he was afraid, like someday she's going to realize that that's a lie and that she's been wrong. And instead, I love that he gets to the place here at the end in this chapter of, Okay, but it's actually possible for me to be that person she thinks I am. That person is not unattainable to me. Yeah. Good word choice. And so and so he is making that decision. It shifts from being like, oh, this poor, naive, innocent girl, I don't want to hurt her, to how can she believe this thing about me, to actually I want that to be true. Like I want to live up to the person she thinks I am. And he has also helped her grow into her identity. So this relationship that would not have worked at all at the very beginning, if they had had immediately, like, he'd given in to the fangirl and, you know, made her wildest dreams come true and all of that. Like, that would not have worked. That would not have had any longevity. But these two have helped each other grow step by step through the whole process. And that's what I love about this relationship so much. And not to take away from Cress or anyone else in the entire series, but this type of, I personally, and this is a hill I will climb, I personally think that Thorne has the most character growth and development throughout the series. And that is 100%. not to take away from the growth, the growth and development that every other character has, because that's not me saying like, well, no other character had growth. All of yeah. them did. Obviously, they did. Even Torin has a whole character growth arc <laughs> and development. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Like Thorin has changed for the better in such a drastic way in such a short amount of time. If you think about it, Thorin 
was a, a man who deserted an island full of his col- his comrades, his colleagues, so he could steal a ship. A ship that he is now trying to purchase by working at an honest living so that he can be worthy of, I think, more than Crest. I think he wants to be worthy of Cinder, who, who went on a limb for him to ask for this, right? Yeah. I think he wants mm-hmm. to be worthy of Kai, who backed Cinder up, and even Torin, who didn't have to do that. He wants to be worthy of Iko, who sort of treats Thorn like this little brother slash close friend who really needs, like, monitoring, right? Yeah. Um, he wants to be worthy of this reputation that he now has as a legitimate hero, as someone who was a part of this, um, this you know, band of rebels that saved the world from Lavana. And I think that it goes beyond, like, Kress. I do think Kress is a huge catalyst. Obviously, that's his, like, end game. But I think that he wants to be worthy of every other, um, everything else that has been bestowed upon him as well by everyone else. Yeah, he's lived his whole life about, like, not doing anything and not having anyone expecting anything from him. So he doesn't live up to any expectation anything he like disappoints people to like going from oh hey I can be responsible and I can live up to these people's expectations and I can try and it can be okay and yeah I don't know I love yeah his beginning of transformation of realizing oh hey I did do good things because I don't think he thinks he's a good dude like, even he's like, right. uh, and, like, I love the scene in Crest, Sasha drives me crazy, when she, he, he's like, man, you know I'm not the hero, and she's like, yeah, like, whatever, like, she's lying, but she's like, yo, dude, like, what have we done since we met, like, you helped me through the desert, you've seen me cry, you came and rescued me, and she's like, you have done stuff, and so I think that's part of the speech here, and he's like, wow, hey, I, I helped Cinder do the impossible, and we helped accomplish this revolution, and he's like, and I love, too, how he's like, okay, this is the beginning of my redemption. Like, I still need to help these people and do this or that, but I, I mean, even just on that it. note, he sort of used that as a crutch in the beginning, right? Of, like, I don't yeah. have to try hard because I've already set up this this established, um, you know, well, I'm already the bad boy. Why would I try and be the good boy? I've already yeah. done these things in my life where I've let this person down or used this person or taken advantage of this person for personal gain why would I make any of those changes like and I I think he sort of if Cress hadn't been there and been a catalyst I think he may have gotten to this point on his own especially being exposed to Cinder and the crew for so long but I do think um that her and their time together in the desert I and even their time separated when he was like you know worried about her while she was on while she was in the palace captured and he didn't know what had happened to her. I think that that sort of, um, that was sort of a catalyst for him that, that moved that progression forward just a little bit in his timeline. Yeah. Yeah. So the chapter ends with Thorne saying, he may have said, I love you to 24 other girls, but the time, the only time he's ever meant it is with Cress. And she says, I love you. And he says, I love you too. And we all swoon repeatedly multiple times. So good. Super cute. And we get some of the old Thorn swagger back because he he makes his big speech. And he's like, and that's how that speech was supposed to go. Yeah. Um, And then when when she says, I'm in love with you, 
he goes, I should hope so after all that. Like, <laughs> we have been through like, some yeah. stuff, girl. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's just like, it's that, it's that nice, it's, it's nice to see that in all the ways that Thorne is changing, fundamentally he's still the same. And the yeah. things that we loved about him are still the same. Like, he's still got that swagger. He's still got that, like, Han Solo, you know, yeah, what have you. Like, it's still there. And I love that. So cute. So let's talk about our song choices for, for this one. Cassie, this is not musical theater, technically. Yes, I'm shook. I know, I know, I know. So listen. She goes, listen. I'm shook. <laughs> listen, it kind of is. Right, there's I said technically, musical, I think. Yeah. There's a, there's a stage musical version of Tangled. It's just only performed at the Disney Park and on Disney cruise ships. Right, oh, plus every yeah. Disney movie the, is a musical because it of all does the exist. Thing. And it is a movie musical. And it was too perfect to pass up. Like, it was immediately what came into my head, and I was like, but that's not musical theater. And then I was like, but it kind of is. And then I tried to think of something, and, like, nothing that I thought of was better. So I, I – it may be a little on the nose, but I did pick At Last I See the Light from Tangled, which I know is another Rapunzel story, which is why it might be a little on the nose. <laughs> Especially because there are many similarities between Flynn and Thorn <laughs> and Rapunzel and Cress. Um, but I think it's it beautifully encompasses this moment of, like – clearing the air and having this realization and so I'm going to count it because it's really only a matter of time before there is a full staged version of, of Tangled Yeah. if Disney's theatricals keeps doing what they've been doing <laughs> it's only a matter of time it'll exist eventually what was and your that's my justification. choice Sierra um, I talk about little on the nose Cassie you ready to go down this rabbit hole that is mastermind <laughs> absolutely <laughs> so I chose mastermind by Taylor Swift as soon as it came out I'm like oh my gosh it's like this chapters because it's just like faded love like the lyrics are like the first night I saw you I knew you, I wanted your body like literally as soon as Chris saw a picture of him he's like oh like she wanted him so bad like Bethany always said she got to marry her celebrity crush I mean at least like yeah, I don't think Mary, but basically Mary. Um, at least partner. With. I mean, we can we can generate and manifest our own love story for yes. them, right? <laughs> and it's like now you're mine. It was all by design. Um, the cutest is like saw a wide smirk on your face. You knew the entire time. Like that's just thorn in a nutshell of smirking and being like, yeah, she loves me. And just like, yeah. So it's very self-explanatory. Just yeah. I love both those songs. I know we used At Last I See the Light before, but it's just obviously a Thorn and Cress song, and yeah. it's in every single chapter that they're in. <laughs> just period. And we don't need to go down the rabbit hole that is Bethany loves Taylor Swift. Like, that has been well established. <laughs> okay, so my song, I went a totally different direction than you guys. Um, my song is Fast Car by Tracy Chapman, which is an iconic song from the 1980s. Um, and I sort of, uh, I sort of latched onto their, their commitment to from here on out we're gonna travel the universe together, not the world, you guys. They have the whole galaxy, so we can go anywhere. 
I mean, can they? Like, this ship can make it from Earth to the moon, but can it really go much farther beyond right? that? Yeah, it's kind of a pile of... Like, our space travel in this series is still relatively limited. <laughs> it is, it is. But I was thinking of, like, when I when I see it, it makes me think of um, What is Eating Gilbert Grape, the book, uh, towards mm-hmm. the end. I think it's literally, like, one of the last lines of the of the book is he says, well, we can go anywhere. And I sort of immediately thought of that when he was like, mountains, trees, you name it, girl, I'll take you there. Um, but so the song I chose, the, the lyrics are, you got a fast car, I want a ticket to anywhere. Maybe we can make a deal. Maybe together we can get somewhere. Any place is better. Start, starting from zero, got nothing to lose. Maybe we'll make something. Me, myself, I got nothing to prove. Do I need to explain everything in this song? Oh my gosh, this is what I always do. I'm like, okay, let me break down every single lyric. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. I looked it up. I was like, oh, this is I think it's pretty obvious they're automatically making a deal right now. But one of the things I like is maybe we'll make something. To me, that's Thorne. He's trying to make something of himself. Myself, I've got nothing to prove. That's Cress, who's already established what she brings to the relationship and is ready to go forward. Um, and the song kind of progresses from there you know and it envisions a whole life for two people who basically run away together and start over and lean on each other and um, rely on each other while traveling the world and trying to just you know run from their past but also run to their future together and I just feel like that's exactly what Crest and Thorne are doing they're running from their past because they're running to a future together I love that that's so cute Okay, so let's talk about our quotes. So by the time I got into the document, you guys had taken, like, my first two. Of course. But my bad. That's, to that's be fair, I took okay. notes, like, three months ago, so. <laughs> that's, that's valid. Um, there's a lot of good ones from this chapter, mm-hmm. and I, I went back and forth between the one that I chose and also... Um, slightly earlier when he's talking about having stabbed Cress and she's reassuring him that it wasn't him. And he says, I will have nightmares about that moment for the rest of my life. I almost chose that one. I ended up going with, um, this is the first time I've been scared, scared. You'll change your mind. Scared. I'll screw it up. Ace is Cress. I'm terrified of you. And I, I picked this one kind of connected to the other one because I, I am not a fan of this admission of, like, I've said I love you to other girls, but I never meant it until I met you. I'm not a huge fan of, of that. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that I work with high schoolers. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and high schoolers, <laughs> like, you might, you might look back at a high school relationship when you're older and be like, oh, that wasn't real. But, like, in the moment, it is very real. Yeah. And so I don't necessarily want Thorne to be like, none of the other relationships I was in mattered. But I do think that it's important to make this distinction of the reason why this one is different is because all of the other ones, even if they were important, even if they mattered, even if he meant it, he wasn't afraid of what would happen if it ended, if he messed up. He would just kind of shrug his shoulders and move on. And the difference with this one is that he's so scared that actions he will take will hurt her. 
And I believe that it's the first time that's been true, yeah. where he's been afraid of hurting another person. And I think that's the important distinction. And so that's why I kind of gravitated towards these two quotes. Because I like that definition of their relationship, of him being afraid that not only that he's going to get something wrong, but that he's going to hurt Cress in some way. Like he physically hurt Cress when he stabbed her. And like, yeah, it was Lavana, but if she had died, that wouldn't have made it any easier for him to live mm-hmm. with. Yeah. No, and really so, yeah, that fear of, of hurting. Yeah. So that's that's the one I picked. Under Underrated quote right there. Mm-hmm. I try. Well, just, like, try. his vulnerability. I love it so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Pierre, what was your quote? So I chose, I'm a criminal mastermind, and I have a plan. Um, I may have gone down a rabbit hole, and I traced the history of the use of masterminds throughout the whole series. Um, <laughs> I borrowed the library's ebooks, and I was, like, looking at it. Um, so in total, Cress says it twice. Thorne says it three times. Although... Only one time in front of Crest. So the first you see it is in Chapter 2 of Crest when they're trying to figure out how to infiltrate the Kai Lavana wedding. When Thorne says it, Scarlet Scuff said it. And then Chapter 2 of Winter, Thorne says, I'm a criminal mastermind. Remember, in response to Cinder, telling him he made a good call for trying to hide from Lavana. Um, and then, yeah, Chapter 70 is when Crest says it to Thorne when they're, like, sneaking in. And then she also says in chapter 75 to think like a criminal mastermind and he says it again here and I think it was like one of the chapters I was on you're like yeah that's kind of weird that like Cress uses that because she never said it to her I'm like oh my gosh so like that inspired this whole rabbit hole like yeah it's true (laughs) but he has said it yeah I went on that rabbit hole myself when I realized it I was like she's actually never been in the room when he said that. So, I mean, you, you could you could write that off as, like, a plot hole by Marissa. But I like to pretend Marissa doesn't do plot holes and that there's a reason for everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just, I loved it. It's cute. It's, it's, it's kind of like a mask for her. It's like, oh, well, and for him, too, especially in the second time he says it, because he had just lost Cress, um, to be, like, a confidence builder. And then at the end, they're like, yeah, we did stuff. Okay, like we actually accomplished things. Yeah, I love it. Ah, such good quotes, you guys. Ah, such good ones. Okay, I had one too. Why <laughs> you say that with so much sadness? Well, it's not as good as yours because I feel like we talked mine to death already. But my quote was: "By the time you realize how much I don't deserve you, I might kind of deserve you." So good. And I know we talked about it a lot already, but I just really, I vibe a lot with Thorn in this moment, like, feeling like he doesn't deserve something and wanting to prove himself otherwise, and feeling like he needs to prove himself otherwise before the opportunity is um, sort of taken away from him. Well, I think it ties into some other things of, like, before Cress. Mm-hmm. He probably had this attitude of, I don't care what you think of me. I don't care if you think I'm worth, you know, anything, whatever, who cares? But Cress's opinion matters. Yeah, and I think that, I, I do think part of that is a coping mechanism. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, sure. I think him constantly being like, I don't care is a coping mechanism, but I think it oh, was yeah. a we coping mechanism for so long that it became more than that, mm-hmm. that he yeah. genuinely started to not care because also he started to not care about himself very much or he wouldn't have gotten to where he was. Mm-hmm. The chapters discussed today are from Winter by Marissa Meyer and the audio clips were from Rebecca Soler's performance, a Macmillan audiobook production. This podcast is hosted and produced by Bethany Finger. And today's special guests were Cassie and Sierra. The intro-outro music was composed by Emma Pavo, and the logo art was created by Cosmic Nova Flare on Instagram. Thank you for listening. Please tune in next week for part two.